0: well good morning I am hopeful that this will be uh, a blessing this morning this recording this new teaching it's brand new material for me and hopefully for you so welcome we're starting a new series we're entitling it the sojourners let me start with a word of prayer father thank you so much for this opportunity to teach uh, these are strange days and many friends that I long to see. I, I miss Bible study with me, but we can't do that right now. But we're grateful for this opportunity to at least look into your word and apply some truths to our lives. So bless us this morning, technology wise and just from the, the teaching of the spirit. Enrich our souls, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I entitled this series. Um, the Sojourners. It's a really a, a biographical study, if you will, of a bunch of fascinating men and women uh, that uh, in a significant way for the cause of Christ. And I got the concept or the idea out of some study in Hebrews chapter 11. So this is a Bible study. Grab your Bible and uh, flip it open to Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says there, right in verse number one, it says, um, this is what the ancients were did for. And then there's a description of, of what faith is and how it, how it plays people's lives. As you go down through uh, that chapter, by the time you get to verse 13, the Bible says this, that they admitted that they were aliens and strangers. Some translations will say aliens and sojourners. Now, that word sojourner is kind of an old English term. Uh, Maybe that's why I like it. But it really refers to something you and I might call an expatriate. This is a person who, coming from their home country, for whatever reason, decides to go to another country and and live permanently. They're not a visitor. They're not on vacation. Patriot. They're a patriot in their previous country, but they've moved somewhere somewhere else they put down roots um, maybe their uh, military uh, attachments to that country diplomatic uh, corps, or maybe just businessmen who have you know foreign country kind of business to to attend to an expatriate might be a great definition of a sojourner it's the idea of somebody who lives in this world like you and i but they are really citizens of a different world Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, of honor, of these kind of sojourners. The Bible says in various places in that chapter that they were were looking for a country of their own. Um, They were long a better country. And and he talks about that they conquered kingdoms and administered justice and all kinds of other things to help them uh, be identified as men and women of faith. And it summarizes down in verse 38. Let your eyes drop down to that verse. It says, the world was not worthy of them. So I thought we would do a study of some sojourners, some aliens and pilgrims, some strangers, some folks that were expatriates. They live in this world, but they're really citizens of the next. And a man who can teach us so much about being a sojourner is a guy by the name of William Wilberforce. And his particular character quality that we want to look at is the quality of endurance. Now, I chose uh, William Wilberforce probably because I like to play with the the word in my mouth, Wilberforce. But he is an amazing guy uh, whose life was spent in the 17th century. He was born in 1759. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was uh, born to a prosperous family. He was the only son. He lived in England in a little town called Hull, Um, he had all the the trappings of a of a prosperous young boy, he ended up in Cambridge and kind of wasted that time, he by his own definition said that he was just an average student who wasted those opportunities, but when he got out he had several friendships, key friendships, one of them was William Pitt, don't you think about William Pitt he became the Prime Minister of, of Great Britain at a very early age. He was only 24 years old. He influenced William Wilberforce to, to start to make something of himself. And so he decided, almost on a whim, to run for office, to run for Parliament. And he won. Um, but he he was coming from a pretty small town, and his influence in the Parliament was very insignificant. And so he decided to go back and run from a, an adjacent town that had a lot more people and therefore a lot more influence, and he won. He won to represent Yorkshire. Uh, Yorkshire. William William Wilberforce began a life in public service on a whim, but it turned into something much more significant. A little bit about his personal life, he was married, a gal by the name of Barbara. They were the exact opposites of each other. Um, Barbara was very pessimistic, uh, maybe even a little on the um, depressed side on the other hand William was just a a bundle of joy his his countenance his his attitude about life he was uh, infectious with his joy most of the people uh, in that day and time he loved being around his children that joyous spirit came out in his relationships with kids there's much to be learned there just for us Um, When, at a time when most families did not eat together, he rearranged his entire schedule so dinner time, in fact, all of his meals, he could take with his kids. He loved to play with them, read with them, uh, read the scripture to them. Uh, He was known as one of the playmates. Here is a giant in British history, and uh, in his immediate area, he's known as, as the playful guy who enjoys children. He, um, he also was uh, a guy who kind of kept his household in a, in a, in a tizzy. I want to I read this particular quote because I'll never get it right. One visitor that went to his home said, it was pell-mell, topsy-turvy, chaotic, a uh, home in which the wife sat like promise on a, on a monument, and uh, her husband was frisking about as if every vein in his body was filled with quicksilver. This is a guy with a great deal of joy. But as he grew older especially, he had to begin to uh, contend with all kinds of physical ailments. Um, He had uh, very um, uh, colitis. And during that day and age, they used to give opium as a medicine for it. The opium eventually pretty much destroyed his eyesight. It was very hard for him to read. Uh, He had some trouble with his lungs uh, and breathing became an issue. And ultimately, he had such a bad curvature to his spine that he had to wear a brace. Otherwise, his head just was flopped down on his chest, and it was hard for him to, to speak or, or read in public. Um, his salvation came pretty early. He was about uh, 26 years old, I think, when he, when he became a believer. Apparently, back then, when the ministers would have a break in Parliament, their their uh, process was to everybody book it over to the continent of, of Europe and have uh, a, a vacation, what they would call going on holiday. And um, often a family would take along some family friends so that there could be lively discussions and so on. And Wilberforce took along one of his old school teachers, a guy by the name of Isaac Milner. And Isaac Milner was a committed Christian. And he said he'd travel with the family under the condition that Wilberforce would read scripture every day and then sit down in the evening and discuss it with them. There's a smile on my face because you can kind of guess what happened. God's word began to get into William's heart. And by the time they came back from holiday, his biographers would say he was intellectually persuaded. But Milner and others did not give up. And in the ensuing months, they continued to have meaningful conversations. Out of God's Word, and ultimately, uh, there was a profound uh, con- conviction on the part of William, and he turned his entire his entire focus over to Christ. when When uh, Parliament would take uh, breaks thereafter, instead of going to Europe, he would spend nine, ten hours a day in deep and committed study of God's Word. Over time, those hours, produced a fruit in his soul that was going to change history. He called that time alone with the Lord his retired hours. I like that phrase. He retired. He went went aside. He put some commitment to it. He scheduled it. He prioritized it. He made sure that it was a part of his everyday life experience. There's a lot to be learned out of of just that part of, of Wilberforce's life. But what he wanted to do especially, and he wrote about it in one of his uh, writings, is he wanted to make sure that he retained the impressions of his retired hours. In other words, once he was out of the throne room, he wanted to make sure that time spent continued to impact his his life. Wilberforce became a public servant, went into uh, serving the public as a politician, a member of parliament, as an expression of his passion for God's word. He wasn't a politician and a a Christian. He was a devoted Christian who chose to serve the Lord through public service. In fact, one author called him or referred to him as a radically God-centered Christian politician. And the emphasis is on the front part of that that phrase, radically uh, God-centered Christian politician. It was, um, his time in politics was a calling, n- not a career. His love of God's Word, the, the, the deep-rooted, important principles and doctrines out of the Scriptures, they're what were the roots, they produced the roots for, for his endurance over the next 40-50 years of public life, and his pursuit of social justice when he, when he uh, was fully uh, convinced and fully involved as a, as a Christian in public service, he, he made a statement. He said, Almighty God has set before me two, two great objectives. One is the abolishment or the abolition, as he would say, of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. We'll talk about the slave trade in just a minute, but let's talk about that, that statement, reformation of manners. Now, in our culture, if we talk about manners, we're talking about, you know, uh, table manners or holding doors open for people or graciousness, looking people in the eye and so on. He doesn't mean that. That word manners means something entirely different to Wilberforce. He's talking about a godly way to live. He's passionate about the, the, the impact of his faith, what the impact of his faith would have on the rest of his day. When he talks about uh, the abolition of slave trade being his number one goal, or his number two goal being the the restoration or the reformation of manners, he's talking about changing the way people live their lives. He wrote a book, and uh, I downloaded it this week. I've not read it. It's going to be a challenge. But in that title of of Wilberforce's book, it was called A Practical View of the prevailing religious system of professed Christians in the higher and middle classes of the country contrasted with real Christianity. Now, that book, as long as the title is, became an unbelievable bestseller. And it really was regarded as as a kind of handbook for modern um, for the modern evangelical movement. When when Wilberforce looked at his job, he looked at it through the scriptures. It doesn't really matter what you and I do for a living, there's something to be applied there. That we would we would look at our efforts, whether we're a salesman or a teacher, whether we drive a truck for a living or dig ditches or help people's uh, you know, building of homes, that, that we would look at our work through the lens of our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, he believed that the bulk of the Christians of his day were nominal Christians. They they only gave lip service to spiritual principles. And they pursued good things, but they did so without relying on God's word. They were doing so as just a means to an end. It was the idea that that the most important thing in life was, was to... Um, correct things around them. But Wilberforce saw it, saw it deeper. He wanted to rely on the scriptures, the understanding that, that men needed to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that that was the formation of the rest of society. He was he was one of the first to kind of articulate that, that sin offends God, not just men. The things that were wrong in society were not just wrong because they hurt people, but they were wrong because they offended Almighty God. His passion for social justice, business of uh, abolishing slave trade and ultimately abolishing slavery itself, was, was born or rooted in his deeply held uh, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He cared about a lot of things, and, and he did a lot of things. He cared about uh, the plight of the poor, He was really involved in in alleviating a lot of the harsh conditions that existed in child labor that was a big deal in England at that time. He was passionate about changing agricultural laws and, and particularly prison reforms. He led efforts to feed the poor and provide medical care for them. But all of that, all of those interests sprang out of his commitment, his deeply felt faith in Almighty God. He also had a a lot to do with and a lot to say about foreign missions, not just stuff at home, but things that were happening around the British Empire. And in particular, he uh, campaigned and led an effort to force the East India Trade Company, which controlled most of the commerce in the world at that day, to open up and allow missionaries both to live on their compounds and to do evangelism. The great William Carey, was restricted in India because the East India uh, Company wouldn't wouldn't allow them to live on their on their compounds when when Wilberforce got involved and opened that all up the cause of missions around the world exploded these kinds of things though were were personal for him it wasn't just you know policies or programs he was he was personally committed that his life would show the impact uh, of of what Christ was doing, um, he was a very generous man. He routinely, routinely gave away over 25% of his income. One year, a biographer said he gave away about $5,000 more than he made all year. He was a kind of guy that wanted to keep things very real, I guess, in his family. So at the dinner table, every night, he would read out the names of Indian women who had been killed uh, in that week or whatever uh, by throwing themselves on the funeral pyre, uh, pyre, p-y-r-e, I think pyre, uh, of of their husbands, it was a, a process called uh, sati, I think, and and what would happen is a an Indian gentleman would pass away, and and it was expected that the woman would throw herself on the fire of of her husband's funeral, and he thought that was so wrong and so demeaned the life of that woman that every night at his dinner table he read the names of of these ladies. He wanted his family and any friends that happened to be sitting around the table to know about and get involved in the injustices of the day. Wilberforce had some powerful friendships. One that you might particularly recognize was John Newton, the the slave trader who was gloriously saved. We might we might look at him as one of our sojourners later on. John Newton uh, was a big influence uh, on Wilberforce, and you remember that John's the one who wrote the incredible hymn we all love, Amazing Grace. Uh, Wilberforce was also a member of a a group called the Clapham uh, sect. It was a group of godly men, uh, businessmen, uh, guys in parliament, and so on, influencers of the day, who met regularly to pray and consider how they might make a difference. They, they did so as, as a group. Uh, they wanted to multiply their efforts in their society. One writer said that, that um, force is proof that a man can change his times, but that he can't do it alone. He understood the need for having a network of people to support. Yet another influencer uh, for our lives to think about the impact that others can have uh, as, as we try to live out our especially as we look at this character trait of endurance, having people around us to support us during times of trials and family issues and so on is so, so very important. But Wilberforce did change his times. And this is the thing that will drag home so clearly in our minds, the, the biblical principle of endurance. Um, for 46 years, Wilberforce fought for the, for the destruction of the African slave trade. And then ultimately that slavery itself would be outlawed. Now this wasn't a minor matter in the 1700s. Uh, Wilberforce himself wrote one time that between 12 and 15,000 human beings were enslaved in slavery every single year by British traders. It bothered him greatly that men and women were being treated that way, men and women who had been created in the image of his his his, his heavenly father he 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 uh, was involved in so much to try to change it was an uphill climb 46 years you talk about endurance for 46 years he tried to convince the the the, the, the parliament uh, men and i assume some women maybe not back then but to convince them that slavery itself was wrong, that the trade of of human beings was wrong, and that slavery itself was wrong. But the British uh, intelligentsia didn't want anything to do with them because it would impact their of living. The the West Indies plantations were feeding the British economic system, and nobody wanted to cut off that, that resource. So finally, in 1787, he introduced his very first bill, to, to abolish slave trade and he worked hard to get that bill passed but it did not in fact he had to introduce that same bill 11 more times can you imagine over a period of 20 years 11 different times coalitions he built interest he he, he spoke of it in the countryside and certainly in parliament and 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 for all of that time there was no positive result. But finally, 20 years after his initial uh, the House of Commons and the House of Lords passed that bill. Uh, It passed, I I understand about four o'clock in the morning and Wilberforce was sitting in a chair in the chamber of parliament, just weeping. 283, 16 votes no and slave trade around the world stopped. And it happened because of the endurance, the faithful, consistent, non-wavering efforts of a single guy, of course, drawing a coalition around him, but a man with the vision to change things. And his vision was rooted in God's word. Historians tell us that at the end of that that monumental bill passing, uh, Wilberforce leaned over to his friend, a guy by the name of Henry Thornton, and he said to him, well, Henry, what shall we abolish next? And the thing he gone was slavery itself, not just the trading of men and women, but the, the act of owning slaves. He was getting old, though, pretty feeble, so he had to rely on a lot of his friends in Parliament, but they kept at it. And three days before Wilberforce actually passed away, they passed that law. Slavery Totally outlawed in all of the British colonies. His pastor remarked about Wilberforce. He says his self-denying, his laborious, undeclining efforts in this cause of justice and humanity will call down the blessings of millions. And ages to come will glory in his memory. Wilberforce is an incredible example of the character trait of endurance. He is a sojourner that we ought to try to emulate. In fact, you know, at the end of every lesson, I always try to apply it by asking the question, so what? So here it is, so what? that William Wilberforce made it possible for slave trades to be abolished and ultimately slavery itself in the British colonies. What what can a, a man or a woman of God in the 21st century draw from his life? Well, I've said the word several times here this morning, the word endurance. I think that the Bible teaches endurance and it is sincerely, sincerely needed in our society today. We need men and women who are focused, who are undeterred in their attempts to serve the Lord and to do good among people. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a great book. And in that book, uh, in fact, I think it's entitled that, it talks about endurance and he called it a long obedience in the same direction. I think you and I need to become people with long obedience in the same direction. There, there's a word in the original language that speaks of this concept of endurance. It's hupomoneo, love that word, it just rolls around in my mouth, maneo. What it really means is to bear up under great pressure. It's the picture somebody maybe under a table and they're standing up under the table and raise it up or a heavy load of some sort, and they're able to stand up and move forward. Maneo, the biblical concept of endurance. And I think there's some, some principles that we can draw from Wilberforce that might impact yours and my life even today. The first one is this. We need to remember and bring to our heart, get a clear focus on the fact that endurance is an ability that comes from the Lord. It doesn't come just from our personal strength. We all know people that have strong personal characteristics and qualities. We often call them alpha people or alpha dogs or or people who are leaders. But that's not, strictly speaking, of a full definition of endurance, that quality to stand up uh, because of character strength. See, endurance, the kind that Wilberforce had to put into play in the circumstances of his life, it is a gift from God. The ability to bear up in a, in a, in a, in a marriage where it's, it's two people unequally yoked, but, but you're called to stay in that marriage, the ability to do that will not come from just your own personal strength. It is a gift from God. In fact, Romans chapter 15, verse number five, tells us this, may the, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow christ may the god who gives endurance and encouragement it is a gift you and i face a lot of different kinds of challenges in our life for some it's a physical challenge a a fight with pain or 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 disease for others it's it's fear itself for some, it's a family situation. It's, it's children gone uh, berserk. Uh, it's financial pressures. It's concerns over our society. Regardless of the kinds of challenges, we need to, to seek out a lifestyle that, that's typified by the term endurance. And in order to do that, we need to ask for help. God needs to come and, and be a part of our processes, our life. We need to have what Wilberforce did, retired hours, time spent alone with the Lord set aside where we can regroup and refill our spiritual tank. If if we're not spending time regularly with the Lord, filling up our spiritual capacities, we're not gonna have the endurance necessary to live a life that reflects his character. So we need to seek his wisdom, his strength, because endurance, comes from the Lord. Second thing I would draw that when we have endurance begins with a, with a godly perspective. And that godly perspective is always forward thinking. It's not looking back. The passage in Luke chapter 9 that says where Jesus was doing some warning and he said, uh, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is, um, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You can't look back. We have to keep looking forward. Maybe in our day and age, the way to think about this is to quit fussing about what everybody else is doing. We need to pick up a, a godly spot on our horizon, our own personal horizons, and then go for that. What What is that spot? Wilberforce saw his... His involvement in public service as as a direct means of serving the Lord, not as a not as a secondary thing, but as a primary focus. His political life sprang out of his personal relationship and his deep-seated commitment to Christ. He 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 was committed to abolishing slavery, not not as a kind of a, a shallow interest in how to do better for others, but in a in a commitment way way he saw his efforts as a an extension of his relationship with christ you and i need to 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 have forward thinking we need to ask the lord where we should be involved who should we be helping what 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 tasks should our lives be committed to and please first, first rather focus on the marching orders he gave us the last words actually that we have recorded from him in the scriptures before he went back to heaven. Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20. They're the marching orders for every believer. Again, whether we're a salesman or a teacher or somebody that digs ditches or flies airplanes or drives buses, he says, go, take the gospel, go, preach the gospel, share the gospel. And in so doing, see that those those converts get baptized and then see that they get taught. Your job, my job is somewhere to use our job in, a, in a, a physical sense, that which we commit so many hours of our lives to doing for a greater purpose, not just to make money or put food on the table or, or to add to our career accolades, but we are to be involved in the master's business. We move forward. We put our, put our hand to the plow and we keep plowing. And lastly, I would call the example that Wilberforce never gave up. If you you want an example of somebody that never quit, William Wilberforce is that guy. And in a very real way, you and I need to be people that don't quit. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9, let's not be weary in well-doing or in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up, don't give up. These are difficult days, regardless of whether it's a a stress in your own home or the political uh, pressures all around us, the racial tensions, the social injustices that are are getting front page uh, attention. Yeah, I I understand that, that many of those issues do require some personal involvement on our part, but you and I have to always remember that our first responsibility is to the cause of Christ. It is not just to make our world a better place. It's to help others get ready to go to the new place. So much of what's going on around us right now cannot be controlled in our living rooms. The one thing we can all control is our own attitudes and our own behaviors. And in that regard, we need to stick to the main thing. We need to be doing our father's business. And to do that, we need in- The writer William James once, once wrote, most people never run far enough in their first wind, to find out that they have a second one. But in Christ, we do. You and I have a second wind. And we learn that from the sojourner, William Wilberforce, an alien, a stranger, a guy that the world was not worthy of. Coming and listening today, I hope you have a a blessed day, and that you and I learn new ways to uh, evoke and strengthen the character quality of endurance. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Would have been no fun without you.